Okay, and we're live. So welcome back to Unhackable FM, as we're going to call it, the second episode. It was previously called The Growth Gap, which um, we're still not sure if anybody understood. We the never had true no relevance meant. Yeah, uh, I also don't know. But, but it seemed to do, um, the feedback that we got on the first episode was pretty much unanimously positive. So it seems that other people find us funny apart from just ourselves, which is good. Um, and in this episode, we're going to come back and talk about three main topics. We're going to have a rant section. We're going to have a section on outsourcing the good, the bad, and the ugly, marketing spend during Corona, and uh, upskilling during lockdowns. Hello, I'm Patrick. My name is Jose Ignacio Gallegos Pereira. So, natural words. My name is Gino. As of this week. My name is Gino. As of this week. <laughs> what was it before? Yeah, my name's Luke. As of forever. Yeah, my name's Fernand. Everyone calls me Freddy. This is Hackable FM. Okay, welcome guys. Um, my name's Luke. I am back with the Unhackable uh, podcast team of Ferdy um, Merlo, also known as Patrick, Gino, as of about a month now, and Nacho. So <laughs> we're back with a new name and we're here to talk about some subjects that uh, matter a lot to us, but I think it's first, we're just going to kind of touch base on, on what we've been up to since the first one. The first podcast was in person. It was called The Growth Gap. And since then, Corona's kicked in with full force and changed our lives. I've changed my job. Um, Patrick's uh, changed his name. Uh, and uh, we're all good, I think, um, to keep keep talking about. I'm just going to babble here. You can cut this out later, Nacho, I think. So what have I been up to since um, the first podcast? Um, I've changed jobs. I'm now working for OneUp as an innovation consultant. So I've been doing that for about a month now and I'm loving it. I'm working with some clients in the US trying to um, innovate in the kind of blue collar uh, temporary worker space. And that's quite um, heartfelt because their lives are really, really tough. So that's kind of my main project at the moment. I'm working more in innovation and less in growth and I'm loving it. Uh, so far, so good. A little bit weird joining a team and not really meeting any of them in person. But that might be the future of work, so I'm just going to have to get used to it. What um, what have you guys been up to? Patrick, have anything been happening in your world since since the last podcast? Yeah, the, that's a good question. I think everybody was kind of surprised by the situation or at least hit in a certain way. And I think that's, of course, personally and in the job-wise the same. All of a sudden, you have to focus on maybe not complete new things, but basically say no to a lot of things, like, you know, find substitutes for events in certain industries or everybody wants all of a sudden everything to do digitally. And of course, that hit asset back this as well. And yeah, from my point of view, I think a lot of webinars and that kind of stuff, um, we have got, basic were like starting or basically more uh, focus on that. And maybe something else. Yeah. I just uh, basically got promoted to head of growth. So I'm happy hey, for that. Congrats. I didn't know um, that. I mean, thanks, guys. Um, and maybe something, guys. yeah, something with um, Luke to share. We also had the same thing like onboarding of new team members via digitally, which is maybe a bit difficult in a certain way, but also gives you way more one on one time. So, way more time to transfer knowledge, which I really appreciated. Like, we got a new campaign manager on board. So I'm super happy for that. And maybe something what we're doing, we're going to do a digital wine tasting. There's like a, how do you say, a bar in Amsterdam called Rayleigh and Ramsey. And they basically offer you a 90 minute Zoom call, 
ship you everybody in a group a package of like six bottles of small bottles of wine and tell you about that and you can even ask them to customize it for you so you're getting the new wine reality that's just some inside backbase joke but um maybe that's something that you can pitch your team luke but what about gino you also started a new job right so i just yeah i said uh when we did our recording was my last uh event in person last things i did with my friends in person uh, before we went all uh uh, offline but um yeah man uh, so i started my job i think the week that we did the podcast was my first uh, week at the job and um i mean the, the the job in itself is new for me so everything i'm doing right now is nothing i did before and that's challenging but it's also what i like about it um yeah man uh, so this week uh, coming week we will actually be uh, releasing the first uh, projects that we've been working on uh, from an experiment to a, uh, a, a more of a different sign-up forum. And um, as so far, I've been, so far I, I really like it. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, so it's challenging because, uh, for example, I'm not a coder uh, and a lot of the things uh, are about code because I have to, I do the discovery part and I can come up with everything I want, but uh, like the growth team's focus is to use the existing components. I mean, we use existing components uh, um, because that allows us to go faster uh, uh, and there are less dependencies. Uh, but then, yeah, if I come up with something and we don't have that in the component yet, uh, I'm coming up with something completely new. And it's it's so it's it's our goal to use existing components, but it's not, uh, yeah, sometimes you come up with something that we don't have yet. So I'm trying to become more acquainted with all the different components we have, also doing the designs myself, um, using these components, and uh, that's a bit of a challenge, but that's also uh, yeah, quite interesting. And I think, uh, so the Corona hit us quite well, right? Because we, uh, our business model is uh, based on international uh, movements. Yeah. Uh, that's the first thing that stopped two months ago. Uh, but yeah, one of my, uh, my team's focus is the local market. And it was a project that we could, would have a few months for uh, preparing. And now it's more relevant than ever. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, and I think we've, as a company, we've been, so for example, uh, so for those who don't know, I work at Housing Anywhere and um, uh, we're doing uh, midterm to long-term renting. And then one of the things that we did uh, in light of Corona is that uh, uh, we dropped our, com our commission uh, because yeah, on one hand we want to survive, but we can't survive without our uh, advertisers, our landlords, landladies. And uh, therefore we dropped our commission uh, uh, so that at least they can keep uh, uh, gathering new tenants and don't go bankrupt, for example. And on the, in the meantime, we work out our, uh, yeah, uh, our business model. And um, I think that's a very noble, uh, noble decision. Shows yeah. that we care actually about all these uh, landlords. So yeah, and other than that, I think uh, goes quite well. All right. Happy to be on the second uh, recording, guys. Nacho. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting what you were just saying, right? Because I feel like when you talk about how it's been from the previous podcast to this podcast, if we're going to be like fully honest, right, it's been rough, right? If we're going to do this like sort of no bullshit approach to podcasts. I also, I also think it's important that all of us kind of explain the truth and the challenges we've been having and not just stand here and say like, hey, we're just growing amazingly well and this is the future because it's, it's tough. It's been really tricky for us. An important side of our business is depending on on the recruiting industry, right? And and most major companies came to a recruitment freeze, right? They're, they're starting to come back to it. And another part is employee engagement. So it's highly relevant because people need to be 
you know, more taking care of their well-being than ever in these remote times, right? So we can kind of leverage one side of the product and, and had a, a lot of problems with the other side of the product. Uh, nonetheless, it's, it's very difficult, man. We're, we're, we're doing our best to keep everything uh, in check. One of the things we're talking about is spending through Corona. I think all of our budgets have been decimated or have been put under heavier scrutiny, right? And, and that's the reason we're touching upon this topic. So it's been tough times. Uh, my focus today is guaranteeing, as you were saying, you know, the continuity for customers, for everybody, and that we can gladly still have a whole team on board and we haven't had to like uh, take any hard decisions gladly, right? But I also feel this crisis is a, is a little bit delayed in the Netherlands, right? Because uh, we still have a lot of support from, from government uh, situations when, when revenues have dropped and stuff like that. We're in a situation similar to the U.S., but I don't think we're going to dodge that bullet. I think that bullet will hit. It will just take a little bit longer to hit, right? So it's tough times. I think it's it's important for all of us to to be more focused than ever into doing what truly matters instead of just trying to do everything and and uh, and trying to you know bite more than we can chew. But overall, I'm happy. I think we've we've been doing okay. Gladly, we saw this uh, some sort of recession coming from a while ago. So we've been kind of preparing uh, our, you know, our, our cost and revenue structure and, and our plans and our budgets and so on accordingly. But by no means we saw this coming, right? Like I would be bullshitting you, everybody, right? Like we saw something coming because it was kind of expected, but this kind of magnitude, it, it was definitely hit us in the face like everybody else. Ferdy. Yeah, um, I mean, of course, uh, I haven't changed jobs or any uh, major changes, but uh, yeah, of course, everyone's been hit by this crisis. Uh, I think we're in a unique situation at, with 3D Hubs because uh, we're an online manufacturing platform. We have this network of uh, manufacturers around the world. We uh, we got hit by Corona in February because after Chinese New Year, New Year's, which is always uh, a challenging time because it's uh, where the biggest industrial powerhouse in the world shuts down for two weeks. Yeah. Uh, after that, uh, it went straight into the corona crisis. So we already had to start taking action, um, which means at the time it was tough, but it also gave us a bit of a head start. That kind of, like Minacho says, the key in a crisis is you need to be a bit more conservative. You need to be more careful. You need to pay attention to your spending. The focus on ROI becomes more important than ever. And the only way to really be able to reach uh, any decent results with um, with a cut in budgets and resources is to focus, is to think about what shouldn't we be doing. This is also something we're trying to make a practice now in my team that when somebody suggests a, a strategy or a plan of action, I want them to almost explicitly highlight what they're not doing, what they've decided not to do. Because I think that's a question that uh, for me as a manager becomes really, really helpful when I know what people have decided not to do. Uh, it's especially important in these times. Uh, uh, but then again, every crisis brings an opportunity. I think uh, on the one hand, there's a lot we, you know, we've seen uh, the tech world and Silicon Valley. We've seen commercialism gone mad for the last hundred years, and I think it's reaching a peak now. And I think a lot of companies that are, a lot of companies that are failing are just unlucky. You know, they 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 have business models that require people to have you know face to face interactions. But a lot of companies are just not creating value. And when everything is booming and the economy is growing, they are not made. It's not, you know, they can get away with not creating much value. A lot of those companies are also failing now. And uh, a lot of companies are also seeing the opportunity. So for us, uh, there is an opportunity, right? A lot of people are saying, okay, yeah, maybe hiring is finishing, but there is the opportunity because 
Of course, maybe there's more expensive solutions in the market. The people using those solutions might then opt for your solution. There might be scalability questions. There's all kinds of ways that you can find a way to position yourself in this crisis. So uh, for us, what we've done primarily is we're pushing a new angle. Um, so now we're talking more about price, which we didn't used to do, simply because well-priced manufacturing is more important than ever. And the second thing we're pushing is supply chain resilience. And this is a the biggest change we've made is really pushing this angle in our branding, in our communications, because in a world with trade wars, global warming, pandemics, if you're a company that has all its manufacturing in one location, all its eggs in one basket, the second that location is, uh, is affected by any of these circumstances, and these kind of circumstances are becoming more common and more unpredictable, well, basically you're screwed and you can't yeah. produce what you need to produce. And we have a network of manufacturers around the world. You know, if China locks down, we can move our manufacturing to other countries. And uh, that's uh, the whole point of saying, you know, future-proofing your supply chain. So basically it's like, it's very hard, but I think companies should really focus on how they can leverage um, themselves in this situation, how they can really position themselves to, to take advantage of it. All right. Then we come full nice. circle. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Um, everybody feel quite warmed up now? Ready? Good on the mic? Yeah, yep. we're good. I think we should do um, a warm-up exercise a bit like that. So who wants to start with the first rant? I'm going to probably open this up to the floor and put myself on mute temporarily. All right. Ferdy, you go. Oh, putting me on the spot there. <laughs> um, okay, maybe first some context on why we do the rant segment. Uh, we all have a tendency to uh, to uh, devolve into rants when we're talking about things. We thought maybe a good way to get that out of our system and out of the way would be to do it right at the start of the podcast, pick a topic that we want to rant about. Um, right now, what uh, maybe uh, one thing that I could rant about a little bit is, uh, no, actually, I don't have a rant on, t on, on in my mind right now. I need a minute. All right, I'll, I'll go, I'll go. Uh, I guess one of the things that, you know, It's not Corona, Corona necessarily, but you see it more in Corona. It's how freakouts can lead people to start trying to focus in a thousand things at a time instead of like focusing on doing one thing right and focusing within their position on what to do. So you're going to see all over, you know, you're going to get emails from even from like the highest of your investors telling you that a button is broken and things like that, right? I think it's super important for everybody at this day and age, especially in these times of Corona, to just laser focus. Uh, people are trying to try to do a thousand things at a time. This is the time where you got to do one thing and one thing incredibly well. Uh, and for that, you need people focusing on the roles, right? I'm a big fan of like borders merging. So people not, you know, sales not being a silo and marketing not being a silo. But this is the time where being a little bit of a silo and people laser focusing in one thing and executing it correctly could really pay off. It's a time to stop annoying the other department, trying to blame in them because your department is not working out. Uh, it's the time to really make sure that everybody is on top of one thing and one thing only, and they're nailing it. So to everybody who's not doing that, is freaking out, is annoying everybody around them, my rant is for you. Does that work? I agree with that. I agree with that. So one thing I would like to rant about is all of these new features added to um, added to LinkedIn. So the two th one, the two I've noticed are polling, um, adding polls to your posts and uh, stories. But yeah, but you know, there's a lot of things that make sense that other social media ch channels have done for LinkedIn to take over. Polls, I understand the logic. Um, yeah. Uh, 
I recommend if if you guys uh, like to get a lot of traction on LinkedIn, whenever LinkedIn adds a new feature, they boost the hell out of it. So make your polls now because in two months, I don't think anyone's going to get any reach with polls. Remember like when they did videos as well? Um, but the big thing, the big thing is the stories. I don't get it because I have like 5,000 LinkedIn connections. I don't fucking, you know, I, not every single BDR who reaches out to me and I mindlessly accept their connection. I want to see what they're doing in their free time. And I, it's for me, the stories is a very clear moving from professional to more social. Um, and I'm very skeptical how it works on a platform where it's not about having your friends as your connections. It's about having your wider professional network. I thought we were friends. It's an interesting choice. Well, sometimes you can have overlap, you know, like Gino <laughs> and I are friends and we're, you know, and we like collaborate professionally. Um, cool. So we, the first one we wanted to talk about was um, outsourcing the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, I, I guess for me, outsourcing at the moment has become more interesting because there's a lot of very talented people that have now found themselves out of work mm. or are, are like cutting their um, hourly rates to try and get um, more work on, on platforms like Upwork or Freelancer or um, People Per Hour. And I've actually, um, about two and a half weeks ago, I recruited a, a virtual assistant and I did a couple of um, experiments with different regions to try and cut through and find a really good VA. So I now use a VA almost on a daily basis just for the stuff that wow. I don't have time to a do. A VA, there's, so, even, there's even like an acronym for this stuff. Well, virtual assistant, but it, the, but the quality of the virtual assistants you can get now and the price that you can pay is um, is just ridiculous. What like, does a virtual assistant do? I used to have a virtual assistant as well, and it's super useful, um, especially if you do a lot of sites. This is completely new to me. I'm uh, I'm the oldest one in the bunch, so. Anything you want, you can... You can you can get your virtual assistant to argue with your wife. Wow! It doesn't, doesn't matter. That's something I would I pay for. It. Wow, I don't yeah. need help there. I think. Yeah. I think, By the way, if me, if you like this topic, check out AJ. I think it's AJ Jacobs. <laughs> how I outsource my life. Um, AJ Jacobs is this. Uh, he's a big experimenter. You know, he 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 does stuff like uh, he lived one year following all the rules in the Bible and wrote a book oh, about man. it. He's a famous journalist, and he did this thing where he tried to outsource his entire life to a, a group of VAs in India, including arguing with his wife, including telling his kids bedtime stories. So if we're talking about outsourcing, I think that's a very good book to, uh, to look that's at. That's pretty smart. See, uh, I'm, I'm into it now, Luke. Yeah. Maybe back to the topic. Luke, can you maybe share a bit like what he does for you and how much that saves you in workload and maybe if you want to, how much you have to pay just so yeah, you can I'll get a feeling. I've always, I've, for about a year, I've been thinking there is an opportunity which I'm not taking advantage of, which is um, delegating or finding someone to do the stuff that is um, high effort, low return. Mm. So stuff that takes me a long period of time to do and uh, it doesn't actually add any value. So I hired him for um, basically to do some data entry in the start off with. And I, I, I found five or six different um, virtual assistants to try and figure out where where the quality would be so i looked in the philippines looked in india looked in china etc cetera, etc cetera. those of you listening need to know that yeah. luke has gotten so into the virtual assistant game that he's actually started <laughs> to us yesterday I yesterday while i was out i was out i was nowhere near i wasn't online i wasn't on whatsapp luke said we need to find uh, this list of topics we talked about ferdy can you find it He's in the chat. He's online. I'm not. So Luke has gotten so obsessed with delegating. Um, I, I feel bad for Mandy. 
No, no, but really I, I thought it was genius. I thought it was genius because our chat, if no, nobody knows, right? Like if they hear the podcast, our chat is like a sea of crap, right? There's a, a few interesting things, but there's so many memes, Ferdy sends some awful photos there and I, I'm trying him to stop, but you know. So uh, overall, and then- uh, Nacho, if you're gonna address, do you want to be honest about who's sending what on the group? <laughs> I would say that's a topic that you don't want to broach. Oh man. We're gonna publish our, our chat history at some point for uh for the not faint of heart. But besides that, like Luke just goes and says, like, hey, like Ferdy, just you look it up and just tax him. I thought it was genius. I thought like, wow, man, this guy is uh, is killing it. I thought it was great. Natural. Most people don't call it genius. It's uh, most people call it being a dick. <laughs> it's okay, okay Luke. I right, that's oh, I'm a sorry. Manager, right? I was in the middle of something. Yeah. And I just Okay, but back to outsourcing. Lesson we- number one. So lesson yeah. number one on outsourcing is Make sure that you outsource to people that you pay, not to people that you don't pay. Don't get carried away. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. Anyway, so we'll get, so I found outsourcing to be quite interesting um, and useful, and mainly using them to do like data entry or, or kind of grunt work. And I learned that methodology from uh, Gino's friend um, at um, Atrium, where they have an interesting methodology where they have. Each one of their staff have like access to four full-time VAs that they get to do um, any of the work that they call monkey work, mm-hmm. stuff that um, slows them down. So they've got a, a team of like 80 people that are then you know quadrupled because they all have access to an external resource. Gives them the ability to be what they are now, which is one of the fastest growing uh, e-commerce or startup companies in the Netherlands. So I took that methodology from them and thought, right, how, do, how can I do that to my and the stuff that I need to do. But, I, but there I think are to, you know, more professional ways of outsourcing. Yeah, but to drag this discussion forward, what's really important is to also like uh, acknowledge that not all outsourcing is made equal, right? Like we have to understand mm-hmm. that it's, it is very different to have somebody that's like going to add subtitles to your video, which you can definitely outsource and it takes two minutes and whatever, that it is to hire somebody that's going to tell your management team how to move through the crisis because he's an expert advisor, right? So there's several different tiers of outsourcing, some of them I'm more comfortable with, some of them I'm not too comfortable with. And I think that's also needs to be acknowledged to, to make that decision, right? Yeah, the outsourcing, outsourcing is a topic that I've always cared a lot about because generally I stand on the line of, I'm, I'm very much against outsourcing. I have quite a big marketing team, we're 14 yeah, people. Um, I'm a big fan of insourcing and I think there, I found two exceptions. So I think the first one is exactly what Luke said. I would say anything that's strategic should not be outsourced generally. That's my that's my line. So if it's data entry, if it's adding subtitles, if it's translations, anything that doesn't require explanation, strategic thought, any kind of angle, anything that's really just one-to-one execution, that works. Um, yeah. You need to actually get good at it as well. You need to get good at outsourcing in terms of good descriptions, good explanations, good guides and guidelines on how to do things right. But generally, I would say that's the only thing. Anything where quality and strategy don't play a role is totally fine to outsource. On the strategy side, I always find it problematic, right? You outsource things, let's say you outsource your Google ads, for example, this is the big topic that people always talk about. Should I outsource my ads? Um, Every marketer in the world who doesn't know how to set up Google ads talks about outsourcing Google ads, right? Um, The problem is that, first of all, you lose the data. Second of all, you build a dependency with the organization you're outsourcing to. Third of all, yeah, if you're dealing with a top agency, a really big one, generally you're not getting the same customer service and attention you should be getting. Uh, and usually if you go for a really small one, they tend not to have the experience, expertise and processes to really drive you forward. So I, I'm usually not a fan. There is one big exception that I found 
And this is after years of shunning all outsourcing of strategic things. The one difference I would say is PR. PR is the one thing that I found that I've tried now multiple times hiring an internal PR person. Mm. I think if you are a startup or a scale-up that has to be conscious of its budgets, you're better off outsourcing your PR, but you need to find an agency that's really aligned with your vision and your way of working because they have the network. And that's the problem. If you hire someone full-time and you build a beautiful network with journalists and that person leaves, that network goes away with them. Um, that's usually what I find. And PR is the only thing I found where one person is usually not enough to get a proper PR strategy on its feet and working. But everything else, yeah, losing the data, the things you want to own is data, process, and brand. Those are three things that you can do internally that other companies can't do as well for you. And if you own that internally, then you have everything you need in order to scale. So I'm a big fan of uh, making sure that whatever I outsource, it doesn't affect those three things. Yeah, true. I, I would also never outsource the ad part, right? I, I, I think especially when you have, I mean, there's, there's two scenarios, right? When you're very small, uh, you can easily just do it yourself. You don't need an agency to do that. And at the end of the day, you're going to be a small customer for them. So whenever you need them for anything or whenever you need their support, they're never going to be there for you because they're busy with the big fish they they attend to, right? And the other one is when you're really big, it's very easy for an agency to show BS results, right? You can just bundle all of them in a metric that works for you. And you can easily say, well, but look at this, the overall ROI, it's great. Sure, and you're not diving into the nitty-gritty when you have thousands of campaigns running or hundreds of campaigns running where you might be like completely dropping the ball in 80% of the other campaigns and just wasting budget. And sure, there's a number that you can always show that looks great. It might be the overall ROI or whatever it is. But when you have somebody really paying attention to the detail and that really understands your business, it's going to make a, a whole big difference, not only on your main metrics, but also in the, in the experience of the people uh, seeing these ads, in the experience of your customers as well. Yeah, maybe just adding uh, on top of that. In generally, of course, I agree with you, but I think that's something you guys not really consider. That's um, speed sometimes, right? And lo yeah. local knowledge, and especially for example, if you're targeting, let's say, Africa or um, certain state in the US, right? You need to have at least a little certain slang. And what we at least, for example, see, right? And sometimes we work together with local freelancers. And then mostly on a long-term basis that has kind of acquired the skills, basically the brand knowledge of our company, but still in Africa, right? In some states, uh, people like wear a, how do you say, a cover around the head and in some not like, for example, for women, right? So if you use ads, you know, you have certain local things that you have to know, right? And sometimes that only gives you the um, opportunity if you do it, basically, if you outsource it, because you yeah. can't have someone that you basically place everywhere you're targeting to, uh, to right? And mm -hmm. the only thing, what you have to make sure, right, if you want to move fast, then it's, of course, find someone outside. But maybe it's important then to build up a long-lasting relationship because then you actually lose, how do you call it? let's say the person knows what you're selling and how you're selling it. And in the end, you basically can adapt to your skill, right? So then you lose less and less money for the things you outsource. And I think that's maybe something also to, yeah, learnings that, um, that we found in the last couple of years. Yeah, I would I would maybe highlight here that I, I see a big difference between outsourcing to an agency and using freelancers. If you have freelancers who are really closely tied to you, I don't really see it so much as outsourcing, right? They're just a, an extension of your employment force, right? Uh, yeah. especially if they're, if they're well tied in, right? Uh, so I would I also say that localization with this example of going, uh, you know, for example, if you want to do marketing in Africa and you want to tailor it to the local sensibilities and culture, 
Um, that's a localization question. So I guess there's two sides to that. Advice and consultancy for me is not outsourcing. You're not outsourcing anything. You're basically getting advice to boost your insourced uh, uh, strategy. Right. Uh, localization, again, for me is also not... Yeah, I guess localization might be one of those exceptions as well, like PR, where you just can't have those skills internally. But that would be that's quite interesting. Yeah. Gina, you're muted. Sorry, dude. Gina, you're still muted. Huh. Wait, we I'll lost, unmute you. We lost Gina. That's why I, I had like five times I want to say something and people were like running over me. Like, <laughs> <why>? <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Uh, now, so what's what's a big difference? Thanks, thanks for mentioning. But um, uh, what I think is a big difference is that uh, if you would hire an agency for something that you're not good at yourself and also don't know anything about, they can tell you, they can sell you anything for every price. They can make your metrics look good, and uh, they give you a good feeling, happy feeling. But you, yeah, it's so they easy can tell you because you don't know, right? But then, if, for example, in uh, in Patrick's case, if you're good at something and you actually know that in order to break into a certain market, you need some local experience, they're sure. not going to, so, so they, to some extent, they can tell you anything because you don't know something about the particular True, market. Yeah. But you are an expert and you're looking for another expert uh, to help you on, on, on some sort of uh, market strategy. But if you don't know anything about ads, and you hire this PPC agency and they can tell you whatever. But if you are super good at ads, and you wanted to, for example, speed up by doing uh, uh, scripts, and you're not, not really good at scripts, but you know like the, the overall context of it, yeah. you can hire someone to help you with scripts, teach your team, and, 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 and go into the next phase. I think it comes back to strategic versus non-strategic. Yeah. I would say, yeah. I would say that comes back for me. That's always been the clear line, um, and like like I said, PR localization those are ones that kind of fall in between. But yeah, if you really know what you're doing, you can outsource. But there also seems to be a high correlation between teams that really know what they're doing and teams that don't outsource as so much. There seems to be a correlation there because if you have those skills internally, that's the most powerful thing you can have. Yeah. If uh, if you can scale that within your company. That's not always possible for everyone. In terms of speed, it's, yeah. al it's also a thing, right? Because you, you might say, hey, it's quicker to get it outsourced, but if you're going to have to spend 10 hours a day briefing these people and they can make mistakes or it's an issue after an issue after an issue, then it's not going to become faster at the end of the day, right? So yeah. that's why you have to get better at as well, finding the right teams to to, to those, those work with. I actually have a question for Luke here because, uh, Luke, you work for, uh, for an agency. Um, like the one thing that I found... You could correct me if that's uh, yeah, if that's you know, not like the, word, yeah, the word agency right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually kind of that's very relevant to what we're saying. There's a reason people don't like the word agency is because there's a certain connotation with outsourcing an agency. Yeah. Uh, what I find, I understand why they do it, but I still find almost uh, almost appalling is that no fucking agency in the world will promise results. None of them. They never yeah. commit to metrics. They never commit to results. And that, at the end of the day, the only th if there's one thing I've learned over managing teams over the last few years is one thing. If you set a target, that makes all the difference. When we do an event and we say we want 100 attendees, and I set that as a target, we hit like 105, 108. If I set it to 140, we get 142, 143. Targets matter, and committing to targets matter. And you can get your team to commit um, yeah. but most agencies won't. So uh, I'm curious if you take more of a consultancy role, of course, it's very different. I guess that's the case here uh, yeah. for Luke, but uh, I'd like to hear your input on that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, about being an agency, I think it <laughs> depends on which service that the client goes for that we offer. I think more of a consultancy. So the, what I do at OneUp is more uh, innovation projects. So we'll set a um, an innovation challenge, which could be, 
increase um, client retention by X via improving the current business model. So that's that's quite a clear target. And they're normally quite ambitious. So there is always a target involved with innovation um, challenges or innovation um, accountancy. So it's slightly more, it's slightly different to kind of traditional maybe marketing or advertising agencies where I do agree with you mm-hmm. that they very, very rarely have a tangible uh, target or return on investment uh, goal. And it's very, very fluffy in my opinion sometimes. Um, but yeah, um, in terms of outsourcing to for clients to use people like us, well, sometimes they simply do, do not know um, what they don't know or they don't have the talent in-house to kind of get it going. So they need to use an agency to just kind of light that fire, have someone else to kind of bring them up to speed. And then normally what happens is they kind of um, start running on their own afterwards. But it all depends on the on the, on the the company and it depends on the talent that they have, have, have in-house. And I do agree with you, you should in-house your talent. Otherwise, you're just educating the external party and, and leaving all the resources outside of your company. Yeah. So I do agree with you. You also set them up for in-house success, right? You set them up for like in-house success, which I think is that's yeah. the thing that most agencies, a lot of agencies don't do. They do the opposite, right? They try to nurture dependency. They try to over-engineer things and over-complicate things so that you're mm. so entangled with their process tooling and setup that just getting out of there would be a nightmare. That's uh, I, I like it when agencies set companies up for success. There's very few who do that. Yeah, I think mm. it's mostly on the company itself, right, to decide hey we're going to work with you guys but you have to do it in our instances right that you put that in the legal agreements that you own the access right that you basically don't fall into the dependencies but it also means for an agency right hey okay we're going to do that then they're also really open and commit and that's also gives you maybe a better feeling to work result oriented right in the end you can also say that you go for metrics such as what you said events attendees leads or just signups, right? But you can also make that even more clarify. That isn't cost per lead mm-hmm. that we can expect, but let's actually look look at SQLs, right? If you look, uh, look enterprise or how do you say, including sales process, right? So I think there's a lot of flexibilities and I think you just have to find the right people and also maybe put a bit more effort into it um, that you get the better results. So it's all about briefing, as I think said earlier. But that, that, so then, but then we're talking again about the distinction, like, do you know why you hired this external agency? Or do you need someone that does X for you? Because if you need someone that does X for you, there's a big chance that you can't ask these in-depth questions or set these targets because you don't know. But if right. you are aware, hey, these are my CTRs, these are my, uh, my ROAS, these are all my metrics right now, I need help, but we can't exceed these targets, right? We have to stay within these boundaries. We, I have to get this, this, and that. Uh, and that's that's already makes you a different client for this type of company uh, than if you're like, right, here's uh, 10K a month, uh, uh, please do my ads and then I can sell you everything uh, for anything uh, instead of uh, adhering to your, uh, to your questions. All right, guys, maybe, maybe it's time also we need to discuss the, yeah. the Corona part, but uh, wrapping it up, anybody wants to wrap up a few th- comments on outsourcing? I'll, I'll add one practical uh, suggestion. Yeah. Uh, so that we have a, so one practical suggestion is if you, if you're in a situation where you want to outsource something, uh, we've already said what we think about, you know, the more strategic, the the better it is that you probably get an advisor or a consultant um, who puts you in a position to be able to make the strategic choices. However, if you are, for whatever reason, budget, circumstance, you have to outsource. I think there's three questions you should always ask yourself. And the first one is, in this setup, do I own the data? 
I think that's the number one. So if they're setting up Google ads, if they're setting up anything, do you have access to the accounts? Do you have all the data? That's the first. It's very often with tracking and analytics yeah. that agencies have their own setup and you don't. That's the first. The second is, do they buy into our brand? I think that's just so important. That's the one thing I find at insourcing of outsourcing, somebody writing copy, somebody deciding something. Do they understand the context of your company's brand and strategy? Do they buy into it? Um, and the third thing is, does this align with the processes and the team we have in place? And if you can say yes to all three of those things, it's probably safe to go ahead and uh, consider outsourcing. That's the questions we ask ourselves usually before we outsource. Yeah, nice. I'll, I'll probably just wrap up how maybe some advice on how I use freelancers and then that might be useful. So what I found useful for for me is obviously I, I did one basic task first where I had um, four freelancers at different kind of um, locations and hourly rates. I had one set task and then I found someone that was more expensive, but more experienced in that task to then vet the the data and the the quality of the work that came in from those four. And then she told me which ones were the best ones out of those freelancers that I had. So I, so I didn't spend my money with the more expensive one. I got her to do the quality control. And then I found the best one from that came up from the quality control to do other work for me. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was to learn the skills that I was outsourcing so that I didn't have to outsource again. So this was about um, pricing a, a SaaS product, right? So we spoke about this in the chat yeah. outside of my skill zone. So what I got that person to do, I found like a, a, an accountant who had an experience in teaching to then produce Loom videos of how he um, did the analysis. So he taught me how to do it. So if you are going to outsource, maybe you consider getting having them teach your team how they do what they do as, a, as a, like an added value. Yeah, Ferdy was saying keeping the data, right? Maybe keeping the learnings is also truly important, right? That that you keep all the learnings as well within your team in-house. Yeah, nice. Cool. So the next subject is marketing spend during Corona. Um, Anybody want to pick this one up? I think we should just do a round, right? Sure. It's probably not my... um, I'm not doing any kind of... We start with the people spending the most at the moment. You have to start. So I, I think that would be either Patrick or Ferdinand right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Patrick, if you want to go first, I can also go first. I don't mind. Go ahead, Ferdy. So the big challenge is finding that line between, on the one hand, you want to keep spending because you need to keep growing in times of crisis. But at the same time, if the demand has dropped and collapsed, um, you might set a budget of 2,000, 3,000 euros for a certain ad group, for example, or campaign. But you end up spending 100 or 200 bucks because the demand has just collapsed. So um, I think uh, the key here is to think about to set really clear goals and think about the ROI that you need from your different channels to reach those goals. Um, what we've done is we said no more experimentation, lots more testing. Uh, we basically tried to make a difference internally between what we call an experiment, which is testing something new you've never done before, mainly testing new channels. So t- channel experimentation, um, we decided not to do anymore um, or not as much and really focus on Double down on the channels that work, double down on the campaigns and ad groups in, in Google Ads, for example, or in any other ad, um, any other channels, double down on what's really p- producing ROI. And maybe instead of thinking about your budgets on a monthly basis, take your budget quarterly and don't think about splitting it 33, 33, 33%. Maybe you start by spending 15% in the first month, track the demand, and then scale your spend as the demand returns. So that's something that we've been doing. So at the start of the quarter, 
we really pushed down our spend. And then we saw with every single week, lockdowns are loosening, people are adapting to the situation. We saw the demand slowly recover and we scaled our spending accordingly. Um, but it's a super hard balance to find. And um, I think if you're in a, if, unless you're one of the businesses in healthcare, food delivery, that's really thriving right now, you're probably cutting budgets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, completely agree with you, Ferdy. Like, I think we started with Backbase um, beginning of the year, double the pipeline, double the closing, a uh, really aggressive um, strategy. And we're selling to banks, right? Um, and we're selling a digital, basic omni-channel banking platform that, of course, yeah, was super ambitious this year. And we, of course, like everybody else, cut down um, the business case, right? And that's also, in that case, the marketing, the budget, or everything you spend. And I think the biggest problem in the beginning, we saw that, uh, how do you say, the click-through rates, the cost per leads, they went just, yeah, nuts. It was just crazy. In the end, you didn't get anything in there. That pipeline, not really, but dried a bit up in a certain way. But that, of course, recovered also after a month. But it's still not there where it used to be. And maybe for the listeners, check out on HubSpot. They did a really nice analysis, everybody in their CRM, about how many emails they sent out, how many sales contract, uh, contracts they get in, right? So it's a really nice way, anonymous around all these people that are using the platform to see basically how that evolves. And I think they started in March and they publish a report week by week. So you see there's way more interaction from marketing. Also sales chats and uh, sent more emails, but the open rate goes really down. And we really saw that people just don't want to talk to sales, but they are interested in topics to share about, right? And we had this well, so similar to Ferdy, focusing only on the campaigns that actually work, more on thought leadership, uh, lead generation, and especially what we found in the whole sales process. So peel, uh, deals, since we are like a digital platform, we're selling that, they didn't like stop moving, it just took longer. So we had to wait uh, like two months for a signature again, just because Corona came in there. But people are willing to talk, but you shouldn't become too salesy. And I think that's maybe one of, yeah, basically as a takeaway. Yeah. Well, yeah, to be honest, it's, um, it's a complicated question, but it's also simple in some ways, right? Like at the end of the day, it, it depends on, on different situations. First of all, um, how, which kind of position are you in when it comes to the spending, right? If you overspend... In, in your advertising, could this like really mean the end of your business? Or if you overspend in advertising, this could create a small dent. That's an important criteria to take on. If it's the first and you really say, well, if I really overspend on this one and drop the ball, then my business is going to be in serious trouble for, for its continuity. Then you really need to, to put a couple of things in perspective. Right? In, in B2B, one of the th trickiest things about uh, paid advertising is also l sales length cycle. Right, like our sales cycle is fairly long, for example. So you have a sales cycle that is three months or more or whatever. Some initiatives are very hard, uh, especially when you're trying new things, to know whether they're going to pay off in the long run. Right. So in this kind of scenario, the only thing you can really do is stick to the things that you have proven and proven time after time in the past that just work. Right. And also, what's very difficult is that one thing that has changed for me in this crisis is that the top of the funnel is not so affected for me. Like we still see a lot of interest and we see, still see people talking to sales and whatnot. What's very, very different, it's the closing rate, right? So that, that's very 
<laughs> that's very tricky because you might you might get false hope in that, right? And you're like, hey, this is driving nice MQLs. This is driving the right traffic, the right companies. I'm getting these companies to talk to my salespeople, great companies, billion dollar companies, whatever it is. And those sales actually after three months or four months after don't close. Right, because even the most you know flashy companies out there, sometimes when it comes to tooling, are being like, okay, we're not just going to add any new tooling to our stack right now. Uh, let's wait for six months to do that. Let's wait for four months to do that. So you have to be very conscious of what your sales cycle is, um, and you have to be very, very conscious of how this is affecting you in three months after that click, or in four months after that click, in true, true conversions. And because this is not maybe the time to experiment with your budget, because you're in a bit of a you know, short, uh, short runway, uh, you really need to commit to what you know has worked and will keep working. Uh, and if that stops working, eventually you need to pivot. But it's, um, it's, it's very difficult to manage, especially in B2B. I think for an e-commerce uh, or things where you just see a, a transition from that click to the purchase that's really quick and you can assess whether something is working really fast, it's easy to capitalize on these opportunities where you see one category dropping and then you push another one higher and then you can make those changes. For B2B with a longer sales cycle, you need to play it safe a little bit, especially when your business is a bit strapped for cash. It's, it's super important to be cautious on that. I would add something to that because Nacho, I think you kind of uh, uh, hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that at Chrono Times, you just need to focus, right? You need to have yeah. a focus strategy. That'll already predetermine a lot of your spending exactly. uh, cuts if you need them. Um, I am interested. It is really interesting to hear that you guys don't have top of the funnel um, issues as much as deeper in the funnel. Yeah. Um, that's a scarier problem to have because I think uh, you're going to have to ask yourself, why are these, uh, well, for you and many other companies I've spoken to who have this situation, they have to yeah. start asking themselves, they have to start asking themselves, maybe our industry has, is, yeah, because this whole Corona situation, this is the new normal. Yeah. Some companies are going to have to reassess whether their products are still as essential or as key to the success of companies as they used to be in the Absolutely. previous context. That's a much bigger challenge, and that's maybe something uh, we could explore uh, in the future. Uh, for the top of the funnel stuff, uh, yeah, if you have top of the funnel problems, you just need to focus on what has impact, and I think that's really the key. If you, it also depends on the situation you're in. But if you're a highly funded company, you try to you like you know, 3D Hubs is a company built for hyper growth, right? We raised over 20 million last year. Um, if you have that hyper growth goal, and this kind of crisis hits you really need to start thinking, you need to start measuring this stuff. Because a few interesting things I've heard, uh, someone told me there is an argument to be made about buying the intent in the market. So some companies are investing a lot into Google Ads, regardless of ROI, because the value of buying the intent within that uh, market yeah. is higher than the if you could afford to take that hit financially. Yeah. Um, the other thing, the last thing I'm going to say on this is just to add that what for me is a big challenge is not making decisions based on the current situation and the current data and the current statistics, but thinking about, okay, what if there's another second wave in three months? And what if it happens again in six months? And this is the problem that I think in a lot of companies, and this is a challenge for myself, is you need to manage expectations amongst the people on your team as well. Because in a marketing team, if you're transparent, which I am, a lot of people know how much you're spending on different things. And then some people might start saying, well, we just spent four grand on this. Why is why why have we why are we not hiring this role anymore, for example? And yeah. the truth is, you need to pay attention to not now, but in three to six months, if shit really hits the fan, 
that's when companies are going to go bankrupt or not. That's when companies who are living from uh, seed round to uh, funding round to funding round, that's where they will fail. That's where companies who are not cash flow positive, that's where they might fail. Companies that are super strongly hit, they might fail. It's not now. It's in three to six months if there's a second wave. And every single, um, every single spending that you don't decide to cut might come back and bite you in three, four months. That's for me, the biggest challenge. hundred percent. And also spending, let, let, let's keep spending, not only close to ad spend, right? Like as Freddie was saying, spending everything, like how many ridiculous Calories, tools have you bought spend. recently that you just never used and you thought they were cool shit because everybody was using them, right? How many subscriptions have you gotten into uh, to, for your, to teach your team in expensive le learning platforms and they never went into them and never checked anything because they're too busy saving the business, right? You need to really be thorough about that kind of stuff. I'm, uh, we are one of those companies that in our CAC, we include every cookie I grab out of the yard. Like, you know, like everything is in there. Every single, everything is then in there. Like we look at the worst possible scenario, right? So um, I, I'm very conscious of keeping that afloat. And, and yeah, as you say, it's, uh, advertising spend is not even the bulk of it. Right. Sometimes it's a. Uh, sometimes there's other costs that you have in tooling in different kinds of stuff. That it's. Uh, that it depends important. on the business as well, though. It depends, it depends on, the on the business, of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, I I used to work for for another company where we were spending you know six figures a month on on ads basically every month, right? So, uh, and in that scenario, you also have some companies that that that's their entire way of driving the business as well, right? Some companies barely drive any sales if they cut their spending in advertising. Right, uh, so it, it's just completely being on Google shopping ads or all these things or the other. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky topic. But I, I think trying to narrow it down and not taking too long. What Ferdy was saying before, it, it's true. It, it's a time to focus, right? It's a time to really not take like chances that might backfire in six months from now. It's a time also to be able to stand in front of your team and, and being saying, well this is why I'm making a decision and that it looks like a savvy, well-made decision because we know this works and I'm just not taking any chances on, on your, on you guys also, right? Because their jobs are on the line as well for the future months. Right. So you have to be very conscious of, of every penny you spend. Yeah, working on a fully loaded CAC, by the way, is a really good way to do that. So fully loaded CAC means that you take into account everything. everything. Um, <laughs> we started doing that as well, because usually you look right. at CAC as it, I put this much money in the channel. I got this much out. Look no. at your CAC in terms of, everything because some companies should maybe be questioning you know do we even need an office do we even need you know yeah. it's different times so if you do exactly. a fully loaded CAC you could really exactly Gino Yo, yeah so what's an interesting um, <clears throat> observation is that uh, 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 now that uh, Corona is here right you have to uh, uh, focus more is what you were saying Nacho but yeah. in reality that's what you would always hope to do right uh, yeah. and uh, I mean, on, on one hand, it's it's good that this this happened because now you're actually uh, reviewing all the tools that you're that you're using. But this is actually something that uh, the the great companies were always doing, and uh, uh, the the good companies that are following uh, maybe thought they needed all these tools. Uh, but in reality, yeah, it's it's always good to be mindful about your uh, what you're spending and that you don't uh, hop on uh, from tool to tool because they might help you. Uh, I think. Uh, it's interesting to see that you uh, that you have your uh, your fully loaded uh, CSC. Um, well, yeah, I understand what you what you mean, right? And, and it's true; it, it should be a common practice, right? But we're also human, right? And 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 we, mm -hmm. we we can feel too comfortable, right? So when when a company just raises money or whatever, you will see some things in there that you can tell yourself, well, I'm just getting whatever this company boat 
to make people happier, right? Because they're going to be more engaged and working. Like, do you really need that company boat or do you really need to book a, a plane to take 100 people over to a beach somewhere? That's debatable, right? But also when you get that money in the bank, you will feel this like security that you're like safe for like, and let's face it, right? Like the economy in the Netherlands was fantastic before this happened, right? Yeah. So you had no way of thinking that you were going to be in this situation. It's funny, like when I talk to my family in South America or whatever, I feel like, yeah, I feel safe here because, you know, it would be really weird that I would be strapped for cash in this in this uh, economy where I could like be supported with, with some decent money while I'm unemployed and then I could find something really quickly. Like I felt really super, super safe. And I think everybody in the Netherlands felt really safe and businesses felt really safe. And this throws everything out the window way worse than you could have ever imagined, right? So the, the whole thing just really changed. One of the other topics we wanted to talk about was upskilling in times of lockdown. How do you make sure that your professional skills are moving forward, uh, especially now that we all have a little bit more time? Uh, Luke, you're probably or clearly the most uh, uh, experienced person in uh, when it comes to uh, training and upskilling, so would love to hear your input. Um, so for me personally, I, I think it's all about spotting your skills gap and then using this opportunity to plug it. That might have been the moment where for some reason, my microphone switched from the fancy mics that we all invested in to the uh, less than suitable inbuilt Mac microphones. As you can tell, it sounds like I'm underwater speaking through a rusty can. So hope you enjoy carrying on listening to the podcast and let us know what you think in the comments um, on LinkedIn or on any of the podcast channels. Um, in the WhatsApp channel i ask you guys for help on how to um, price a SaaS product because my ceo turned around to me i'm working on a new project for an internal SaaS product it's like oh we need to price for it i've never done that before and then i asked my network for some advice and um and then you gave me some really good advice and we can share that uh, later on uh and then so i realized well i'm not very good at this and if i want to work closer with product or I want to work closer with validating business models and innovation. I need to be, improve my um, skills gap, which is around mathematics, pricing strategy, and kind of economics. So then I looked on um, people per hour and Upwork for someone that could teach me those skills. And then I found a, an accountant in South Africa who used to be a vice principal of a school. And I asked him if he could put together some curriculum for me to learn it. So that's kind of, my new approach is that if I've got time and I've got skill, if I've got skills deficit, I want to find someone that can um, bring me up to speed as quickly as possible, as well as doing like reading and watching uh, YouTube videos. I think being taught by someone is also really, really valuable. Basically taking kind of a freelancer seeking approach and actually finding experts and paying them to make courses personalized to you. Yeah. That's that cool. is awesome. You should you should definitely talk about this more and use the hashtag hashtag plug the gap. <laughs> plug the gap. Yeah, I think it, I think for me it works because then once you've got a relationship with this freelancer and you found a good one, then you can kind of always rely on them to go back to them to help you when you need. And the guy's yeah. really good. Sounds like a business it's model to me, man. Such a good idea. It sounds like it sounds like a lot of companies that are doing education could benefit from doing this. Yeah, well, it's quite cost-effective as well. So if you look at some of the costs for online courses, especially in the Netherlands at the moment, 
what are they like 2000 3000 and this guy's costing me seven seven euros an hour but for where he is that's a lot of money uh considering that in south africa in particular because corona corona they're having um they think 50 percent unemployment it will be the the rate of unemployment that they have after through this and after this so he needs to survive so it's not only finding it, doing a good thing helping someone out but i'm also educating myself at the same time so yeah i think everybody can benefit from it that's um, a really good idea uh, uh, jumping in off that i think upskilling yeah, of course. Um, everybody says we have more time in a certain way, right? Because you don't have to commute to work. You don't have all these social gatherings. But I think it's sometimes actually opposite, right? Because you either focus more on certain things yeah. and maybe you do the social gatherings via Zoom or a preferred, I don't know, video call tool. Or you just go for a walk, right? So basically you keep yourself busy with other things. And actually for myself, I stopped doing upskilling just for work because I feel like I'm way more focused right now if you work because you have way more time for yourself and actually then using the time that you have left at the end of the day or in the morning for something a bit more creative, right? That could be that you focus additionally on certain sports activities, pick up meditation, again, like in my case, and doing something completely extraordinary. Like, I don't know, I watched a TED talk about how to draw a cartoon. It's about the guy just Googled it. It's hilarious. It teaches you in five minutes how to draw multiple cartoons. It's like a simple pr process that you just repeat over and over again. And in the end, that's something I can share with my friends or later on someone, someone at work, right? And I get way more value out of that instead of just like doing another business course, another thing. Of course, I agree um, that it's possible, like if you're, for example, out of a job right now that you can actually pick up coding or so. But for the ones that have a job, I'm more uh, looking to be a bit more on the creative side right now, because I think you're also in a quite a senior. You're quite a senior in quite a senior position in quite a senior job. So uh, I think uh, people who are more in executional roles and still building up their careers and the earlier stages, they probably have a higher uh, higher uh, priority when it comes to uh, upskilling and training. Um, it's something at our uh, at 3D Hubs. We we've made a part of everybody's OKRs is also a learning OKR, a learning KR. So um, this quarter, it's data. Everyone has to build a growth model out of, uh, you know, depending on the market or the specialization they work in. Uh, so it's something that we try to systematically also uh, push. Yeah, yeah but I think that's also important what you were saying, because basically you're making it part of people's jobs, right? Uh, and that's why I think it's important because I, I mean... I have mixed feelings about this topic because I, I feel we live in this world where influencers are making us all feel stupid, right? Because they all pretend they work, they jog and, and, and study at the same time, right? And they can do a thousand things and run a thousand business. And then everybody else feels like a dumbass because you don't do the same thing. Um, I take a little bit of a separate approach. I want to be a normal person in general in my life, right? So I do want to spend time with my wife. I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time watching movies. I want to spend time doing things that are not making money and not the hassle and the Gary Vee in the airport video and all this crap. So overall, I, I've made I've made like learning part of my everyday in my life in general, right? So I try to every, once in a while keep up with articles, watch something here and there and whatever. So Corona hasn't changed that for me. Uh, I'm trying to spend the extra time I have with my family. I'm trying to spend the extra time I have uh, talking to my family that's abroad, spending it here with my wife and so on, more than just getting on a new course or whatever, because that's part of my everyday. And I try, as Ferdy says, right, to make that part of I, I try to give my people time during working hours to do that, 
because you cannot just expect to somebody for somebody that they will like work for you eight hours and then they're going to get home to dive into this deep diving course of whatever you want them to dive for three more hours or four more hours, right? Uh, unless you're giving these people a big stake in your company and they're all going to be billionaires when you become a billionaire, then that's fantastic. If that's not the case, then people are going to go home and do their lives. So I'm a fan of upskilling, but I'm a fan of putting it in the workplace. I'm a fan of putting it in working hours. And I'm also a fan of having a goddamn life, man. I feel like we, we all get put in this pressure that if you don't have a business when you're 20 something, then you're lacking, or if you don't have your own thing or whatever. Uh, and it's okay to also just be a normal human and, 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 and be learning at your own tempo, right? The, the, it's a bit out of proportion from my, from my own taste. So what Patrick said, right? I mean, you yeah. know, having your own life and upskilling don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? So yeah, that's what Patrick exactly. said. Tune. It's so yeah. fun. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So for me, I think actually, if it is for any that I actually did, I'm doing less now of upskilling. So I'm, I'm doing it a bit in the weekend because I like it. I'm not doing it for, for my, my day job or it's just for myself. Um, but then every day when I was commuting to work and sitting in a train, I had like 30 isolated minutes to, uh, uh, to, to reading a book. So I always had a book in my, in my backpack yeah. and I actually miss that now because I, if I, if I am, my, my house is also my, my living room is also my office. And, um, uh, so when I wake up, I don't have this isolated 30 minutes of reading these two, three chapters. Yeah. And then when I get home at night doing the same thing and actually miss that. And I, f I find it super tough to, so I have not, I have not been doing that as, as since working from home. These isolated moments to sit down, don't bring your laptop, just read a book or listen to a podcast and take the time to do that. I've actually always felt the rush of either waking up, working, closing your laptop, starting your evening. And yeah. I'm, do, I'm doing a lot of workouts, but that's different. Um, I actually find But we are learning by doing. We are learning by doing, exactly. right? Just doing this podcast, for example, that's that's learning and development for us, right? That's yeah, that's yeah. something new. I think uh, yeah. I think the the I'm curious how you guys are using it, but there's more time now, right? There's more there's there's less stuff happening. Uh, those people who suffer from fear of missing out, I do, for example. I always like to see what's going on. I want to be about. I have so much more time. It's not it's not that I have more time, like you say, Patrick, but it's just that the amount of things that would usually distract me from doing certain things has uh, dropped drastically. So I want like to make the most out of, of time. Hey, yeah, that's true. Thinking, uh, yeah, more than learning, like it's even for that project you had on your pipeline for ages, right? Maybe more than learning even. Like maybe you wanted to do whatever, this podcast, you know, whatever it is that you never got a time to do it. Maybe, maybe now it's the time. But I think learning... I don't know. I, I don't feel like it drastically changed with this with this situation. I just think it is part of your everyday if you if you have that mindset. I mean, if if, if it's worth something uh, uh, that this girl, this this pandemic realized that you are already quite in sync with yourself, we're already doing the things yeah. uh, you like most, and that it's not the most popular thing to do. Yeah, who gives a shit, right? You just you, yeah, sure. uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I save two hours a day. I don't travel anymore, so I don't travel to work. So I save two hours a day. That's a lot. And how am I, how am I spending that now differently? I don't know. It doesn't feel like I'm having these two hours. Are you are you saving two hours a day, or are you losing two hours of listening to podcasts and reading books a day? Well, good question. I guess it depends on the person. Actually, personally, I think I actually lost this this time to do other things. Right now is now there's less of a difference between not working and working. And before that, there was an actual boundary. And I agree with what um, Gina was saying and what Nacho was saying. Sometimes it can be 
hard to find the energy or the motivation to do upskilling if you can't see how that upskilling and motivation uh, aligns with your long-term vision or what you want to do. So I think uh, one of the things I did recently was I actually, um, a friend of a friend is training to be like a life coach or a career coach. So he's, he's doing a 12-week course and he's offered to do career coaching for me for free for 12 weeks. So we done, we did all this whole value mapping and, and where we want to go. And then that's where I plug in the, the stuff that I want to learn. And then that gives me motivation. But you have to be motivated to actually want to learn new things for it to work really. And I think a lot of companies have a training budget and there are ways to make that go further. Thanks for listening to another episode of Unhackable FM. We called it Unhackable because we wanted to dispel the nonsense and the bullshit within growth, marketing, digital and innovation. And fundamentally, it comes down to my gut feel in particular is that you can't hack growth. There are no shortcuts. So we're here to kind of pave the way to a new conversation where we talk about adding value and delivering tips and advice to each other, not just shortcuts or unrepeatable shortcuts. Thanks very much for listening. um, And we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Gino. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Ferdy. And thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks, Luke.